Uh, welcome to church. Um, welcome to everyone here tonight. It's, it's a, a freezing winter night. Our friends that are listening in from the Northern Hemisphere, it's getting warm up there, but um, in Sydney, it's freezing. But it's great to have everyone here uh, tonight. We're looking through the seven letters that Jesus wrote to the seven local churches in Revelations 2 and 3. And tonight, we are looking at the passage, Revelations 2, verse 8 to 11, the letter to the church in Smyrna. Now, sometimes when we read the Bible, we think of it as like ancient history, but, but what's cool is that the Bible isn't just ancient history. It's not just kind of fairy tale that happened like sometime, you know, some mysterious or mythical time in the past, but this is real life events and real life places. The cool thing about the city of Smyrna is that it still exists. The city of Smyrna is now called, uh, what's it called? Izmir. So here's the map of um, the seven um, churches in Asia or Asia Minor. So this is Turkey. This is modern day Turkey. And Smyrna is right in the middle on the water, very similar to Sydney, had a harbor. And you can actually go to the city called is Isma, uh, which is there right now, okay? So Jesus is not just writing some theoretical letter to some theoretical city. This is a real place, real people that still exist now. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Smyrna. Smyrna uh, was a magnificent city. It was a beautiful city. People would talk about Smyrna as the place that they would want to retire. That's where you wanted to be. Okay, it had a harbor. It had um, massive trade. Uh, it had uh, politics. Um, it had government. And, and, and because of its beauty and splendor and where it was and the trade, a lot of business was centered in, uh, in Smyrna. But the problem was, with all its beauty and splendor for the normal person, for a Christian, a Jesus follower, it was one of the worst places to be at the time. Because Smyrna, because it was so popular with the Roman Empire, uh, it was a huge place of persecution and pretty much bullying, all the Christians were being bullied by those around them. Now, I want to define this word persecution. And that we're going to talk about persecution today. Uh, let me define it. Persecution is defined cruel and unfair treatment of a person or group, especially because of their religion, race, or political Beliefs. Now, persecution is cruel and unfair treatment of a person or group. Now, let me define this. This is important. You cannot be persecuted by having a difference of opinion. Just because someone has a different opinion to you doesn't mean, oh, they're persecuting me. No, that's called a difference of opinion. Now, because of a difference of opinion, if they choose to act on that, if they choose to put you down, if they choose to make fun of you, now that is persecution. Okay? I, 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 I don't want to move away from you know, the, the importance of persecution, but, but I think sometimes we think that everything's persecution, and it's not. 
Like your, your, your neighbor, you know, doesn't believe in Jesus and you have different opinion about, about gay marriage, right? Just because they have a different opinion to you doesn't mean that they're persecuting you. You need to understand that, okay? That's called difference of opinion. Now, if they start throwing rocks at your house, that's persecution, okay? See, in Smyrna, the Christians were being persecuted, not difference of opinion, but they were being persecuted because of their belief in Jesus. It's not that the Roman government, and it's not that the Jews were saying, well, these people who believe in Jesus, we just have a difference of opinion. No, they would act upon that difference of opinion, and they were literally being thrown into jail, tortured, tormented, and for some being killed because of what they believed in. Smyrna is a church known for its suffering. Now, that's the context of Smyrna. Now, last week I told you that in each of these letters, there's four things that, that more or less is going to follow the structure. Uh, the first one is this, Jesus is going to describe himself, and then there's going to be a commendation. Church, you're doing this really well. And then he's going to say, church, these are things that you're not doing very well. And then he's going to finish with a promise that's been given to the church. And we're going to follow that exact same structure in all of these letters. Okay? So, as I said, the, the letter is only four verses. So, we're just going to follow it. Okay? So, the first one is this. The Lord's self-designation. And we see this in verse 8. This is Jesus' description of himself as he writes to the church in Smyrna. Verse 8. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. This is Jesus' description of himself. The first and the last, the one who died and came back to life again. Now, everything in the Bible has meaning and purpose. So why would Jesus describe himself using these two, the first and the last, and was, was dead and then came back again? Remember who the church in Smyrna is? They are being persecuted. They are being killed off. They are being tortured because of their faith. Jesus is using his description to tell them, I am the first and I am the last, not the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire one day will crumble, but I will still remain. He's writing to a church that is literally dying. And so how important the words are to this church to, to know that the Jesus they are uh, believing in, the Jesus that they're following, this Jesus, he actually died. But he came back to life. And for those that follow him can have more, that can have this same resurrection. This is why Jesus describes himself as the one that died and came back to life. Now the second part of the letter is the commendation. The commendation, and we see this in verse 9 and, and verse 10, and I'll go through them one at a time. Uh, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, there's two things that we need to note in verse 9. Firstly, even though the church in Smyrna is suffering, and this is what Paul says, I know your afflictions and I know your poverty, yet you are rich. How can this be? How can they be rich? 
And I had to think about this, right? Who's rich, right? Like, rich isn't necessarily all just about money. Like, that's the main way that we use the word rich. But, you know, you can call a, a chocolate cake rich. You know, you can call someone's personality rich, right? You can name someone rich, you know, like there's multiple ways you can use the word, right? But the person that is rich is, is one that has something more than what other people have, right? So in terms of uh, children, I'm rich, right? Because I have four kids, right? I'm rich, and some of you are poorer than me, right? Well, everyone is poorer than me, right? Uh, so, so how is it that Jesus is saying, you know, to this church, hey, you guys are suffering and you guys are going through poverty, but you guys are rich. What do they have? What do they have that others don't have? You know what it is? It's Jesus. And with Jesus, it's eternity. The Bible will call this treasures in heaven. Things that we cannot see in our hands right now. But the things that we're building up, we're rich spiritually. This church was rich spiritually. Secondly, the thing that we, need to re- that we see in verse 9 is that Jesus recognizes that the suffering is not just earthly. It is not just the oppression of the government and society, but actually it is the battle between God and Satan. There is a battle that is happening in the spiritual realm that is leading to this oppression, this this affliction, and this poverty. He acknowledges that suffering can be the result of the work of the enemy. And this is where we as a church, even though this might be very foreign to us, remember I always said this, just because you don't understand that doesn't mean it's not real. And when we talk about spiritual, uh, spiritual oppression or spiritual attacks from the, from the enemy or from Satan, just because you don't understand it doesn't mean it's not real. Don't be naive. Don't be naive to think that, that just because you can't see the devil that he does not exist. You know, actually, that's, that's one of Satan's greatest strategies. Just make him believe that I don't exist. How great is that? It's such a strategy, right, from the enemy, and it works all the time. I'm not real, so you don't have to worry about me. But the Bible tells us over and over again that the spiritual realm exists even greater than the physical realm, and that the enemy is at play all over our globe. It is real. It is as real as the hands and feet that you have. It's real back then, and it's real now as well. Verse 10, do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your, uh, uh, as your victor's crown. See, even in this suffering, Jesus commands two things here. The first one, do not be afraid. And the second one, be faithful. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. What do we see? Why, why is this description that Jesus is giving of, of going into prison and suffering for 10 days? What do we learn about this? We learn that suffering is a part of our lives. Suffering is a part of the brokenness 
that exists in the world that we live in. You and I are not exempt from suffering. No one here is exempt from suffering. Why? Because we live in a selfish and sinful world. No one here has, can honestly tell me, you know what, I've never suffered anything in my life. And I'd be saying, have you ever caught the trains in Sydney? That's suffering. Everyone is either has gone through suffering or is going through suffering or will go through suffering, right? That's reality. With the enemy working and the brokenness of this world, we cannot escape it. But Jesus says, do not fear. And, and, and something that we need to see is, he says, you will, per, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Why 10 days? Is it a literal 10 days? Is it a metaphorical 10 days? I don't know. I don't care. The important part of that is this. It's a set time, which means there is an end. There is an end. Can I tell you, the battle between God and Satan, there is an end. And at the end, God wins. Your suffering, there is an end. You might be going through some stuff right now, and you might be thinking, when will this end? This will never end. And you know what? For some of us, it might not end in this lifetime. You might take what you've got in your life and you might take it all the way to the grave. But what, what the Bible shows us is there is more to just this life. And that's why Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death. Be core, right? Even to the point of death. Now this is, remember, right? This is... This is Jesus speaking to a church where literally their neighbors and their family members are dying. And Jesus says, even if it means to die, stay faithful. And I will give you life as your victor's crown. And Jesus is not just talking about the life that we live here and now, but he's talking about eternal life. Now, the third part of the letters is usually a condemnation. Church, you're not doing this right, and you're not doing this right. But you know what? In this letter, Jesus doesn't say anything about that. And you know what? If you sort of think about it, this church that's, that's whittling away because they're just being persecuted and people are dying, I think Jesus is like, you know, I, just hang in there. He's just encouraging them. But he does finish with the promise in verse 11. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. The promise is this. For those who stay faithful, for those that are victorious, the ones, they will not be hurt by the second death. Now what's the second death? And we see what the second death is in, in, in later in, in, in Revelation, Revelation 20, 14 to 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written on the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. The second death is eternal punishment from judgment day. So the first death, the first death is, is our physical death. Something that we will have to face. The reality, no one questions that that's going to happen. But there's a second death. And that death will be the day that you stand before God himself. 
And he will judge you. He will judge your life. He will judge the decisions that you made or didn't make. And from that point, he, there are two paths, right? You either spend eternity in heaven with God in his presence, or if you chose not to live with him and chose not to be faithful to him, you will spend eternity without him. That's the second death. And what Jesus is telling us is that for those that stay faithful, we will not have to endure the second death. What a comfort it is to have been the believers in Smyrna, to know even though they are suffering and going through persecution and people are literally dying around them, that if they just remain faithful, Yes, my physical life. Yes, I may breathe. Uh, I, I may finish breathing on this life, but I have life after. The question that that we need to hear from all of this, right, from from the church in Smyrna, and the lessons that we learn from Jesus's letter to the, to the church in Smyrna is this question. What about us? What about us? Did anyone fear their lives by making decision to come to church tonight? No. Did anyone, you know, lose a family member this week because they were Christian? No. Do we, are we persecuted as the church here in the chapel? Now, I just want to take three steps back, and then I'm going to build back into that question, right? Are we persecuted because of our faith? This is what the Bible tells us that we should expect in our lives, okay? If you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus, right, this is what we should expect. Matthew 10, 22, you will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. This is Jesus speaking. He's saying, because of me, you will be hated. 2 Timothy 3, 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is, this is what the Bible is telling us. This is what we should be expecting. 1 John 3, 13. Do not be surprised, brothers, if the world hates you. Why are we surprised that, that Christians are persecuted? Why are we surprised that, that people are, are dying because of their faith? It's so funny because the Bible tells us this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And suddenly it happens exactly as the Bible says. And we're like, whoa, I didn't know that was going to happen. The Bible promises this over and over again. We will endure suffering. We will go through persecution. Now, I want to introduce this. I know for some of you, you might be new to the church or even new to the faith, and I just want to take a, a, a big step back, and then we're going to come back in, okay? Open Doors Ministry is a ministry that serves the, persecu uh, the persecuted church around the world. So it's a ministry that literally uh, specializes uh, helping and supporting the Christians that live all around the world, that live in places where they, there is no religious freedom. Okay? And I love, uh, for those that know me, I love statistics, but these were sad statistics. They say that one in nine Christians are persecuted for their faith. One in nine. 
Okay? Now, this is a global figure. Okay? In Australia, it could be completely different. But let me give you some of the examples that they have on their website. So North Korea, number one persecuted country for people who are Christian. And you can kind of work out why. Right? Here's the estimated number. They, they reckon that there's 50 to 70,000. 50 to 70,000 Christians, because of their faith, are in forced labor camps. Okay? Now we think, okay, 50 to 70,000, that's a big number. Right? These are numbers that uh, they, they've tried to work out as most accurately, but there's so much more. Uh, in Nigeria, uh, there was a, 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 in the last 12 months, 3,731 Christians were killed for their faith. It's just simple as that. 3,731 Christians killed for their faith, mainly killed by one ex extremist Islamic group called Boko Haram. 3,731. China, 1.1 billion people. New religious laws in China seek to control all expressions of faith. I was speaking to one of our members, and, and she, she spent some time in China, and, and back then it was quite open. The gospel could go in. You could do church. Uh, you know, it was sort of like, look, we're still going to watch over you, but as long as you sort of keep within your parameters, we're going to let you worship God. But with the new regime, it has become tighter and tighter and tighter. There are stories of pastors just disappearing. Churches just being shut down. And people are saying that it's the worst it's been for Christians in China in the last 10 to 20 years. Algeria, Indonesia, India, Iraq, Burma. The list goes on. All these places have ongoing persecution. Now for us, right, it's hard for us to gauge this because obviously we live in Sydney. But you can tell right now globally, globally, it's not that different from the church in Smyrna. It's hard for us to imagine, as I said, it's hard for us to imagine when it's 3 p.m. on a Sunday afternoon and we're sort of thinking about, you know, we're lying in bed and we're thinking, should I go to church today or not? Should I go to church? It's pretty cold today. You know, there's no trains, it's just buses again. You know, like, it's hard for us to imagine that. It's hard for us to imagine sort of what's happening outside of Australia, but, but that is the reality. We come and we worship God. There are people all around the world worshiping the same God. But they risk their lives and their livelihood to do that. And I, don't, I, I just want you to know that. This is not, you know, feel guilty or, you know, feel, it's nothing like that. It's to say, know that this is real. Persecution still exists. People are still dying because of what we believe. They said it's hard for us to understand, but, but I want to then bring it back from the global into national. In Australia, are we as Christians, are we being persecuted? 
You know, what's interesting is uh, during the six time, uh, six years that we've been open as a church, you know, none of us have ever, it's never been a question that someone's going to burst in here and go, excuse me, you're not allowed to do this. Please shut down your church. Because we have, uh, number one, we have foundationally, we have Christian roots as a country. You know, there, there, there would be a time where people would say, you know, Australia is a Christian country. And, 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 and we have religious freedom, which means that the Christian church and the Catholic church and, and the Muslim mosque and, and the Buddhist temple, they can all be on the same street. And everyone respects each other's opinions, and, and that's fine. You just believe what you believe, and you know, we all sort of tolerate it and whatnot. But can I tell you, there's persecution in Australia as well. Now, obviously, it doesn't look the same as the global. No one's, well, obviously, we don't know, but you'd assume no one's going to die because of their faith in Jesus in Australia. Because if that was to happen, you'd, you'd hear about that and there'd be you know, a lot of um, coverage on that. But just because no one's dying doesn't mean that there's no persecution. We once were a Christian country where basic biblical foundations were accepted and used in society to build communities, families, and social networks. The church... The Protestant Christian church used to be a founding a building block of what was important to build a healthy and moral society. But friends, the landscape has changed. The landscape has completely changed. And we need to understand this. Now, we can't assume that we're a Christian country. We can't assume that people have the same beliefs as us. And don't be naive and don't be fooled to say that, oh, you know, we're a Christian country. You know, oh, you know, we can believe. No, we're not getting persecuted. We're not being, you know, we're not going through suffering. No, it's not like that at all. Our society is moving further and further away from Christianity. Did you know that? Um, Christians are not celebrated anymore. Uh, In some circles, Christians aren't even tolerated anymore. You know, back in the day, uh, you know, years ago, so 50 years ago, you could assume, you meet someone on the street, someone, someone new, and you could ask them, hey, what church do you go to? And it might be a Catholic church, it might be an Anglican church, it might be a Presbyterian church, but it was no problem to ask that because there was a basic assumption that we were somewhat of a religious nation and it was okay to go to church, it was okay to be religious. But now, if you say that at school, if you say that at work, People get offended by that question. Because we assume that people are religious and yet our society is not. Census, 2016 census, the number one religious box that was ticked, right? What religion do you affiliate with? Number one, 30 something percent was what? No religion. That's our society. We're the minority. What's interesting is that there is so much backlash against Christianity at the moment, especially in Australia, uh, in the name of freedom or not being discriminatory, that Christians are being pressured to lose that same freedom in their beliefs because it's offensive 
Do you know that it's now borderline offensive to be a Christian in Australia? What's interesting is, if I was a Muslim, people would be like, great, you're a Muslim. I might not be a Muslim, but it's okay. That's your choice. You can be a Muslim. You know, for some reason, that gets tolerated. But I stand up and say, hey, I'm a Christian. And people are like, why would you do that? They look down on you. They, they ridicule you. They mock you. It's interesting, right? The United Nations Declaration of Human Rights this is an important document. And it reads this. Everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. This right includes freedom to change his religion or belief and freedom either alone or in community with others and in public or private to manifest his religion or belief in teaching, practice, worship, and observance. This is, this is from the UN, the United Nations. They believe that this is a fundamental human right for every single of the 7 billion people in this world. You can choose whatever religion you want. That's what they call religion, religious freedom. Do you know where we are as a nation? As, uh, it's interesting, right? We think that we're Australia, we're westernized, we're, we're, we're at the front of the game. You know where we are as a, a nation? A sports person posts a Bible verse on their social media and they get crucified. You know what was interesting was when that all happened, no one here would even dare to do that anymore. If, if they're going to get crucified like that, right? Like, when's the last time you posted a Bible verse on your social media, right? It's become, it, it's like, it's becoming a scary place where we can't even express what we believe anymore. We're not allowed to do that anymore. I thought about doing it and I kind of sort of chickened out and I didn't want to cause too much controversy, but, but I, I was so tempted to post a Bible verse on my Instagram and see how much controversy it will cause. And number one, not as much as this sports star because they're famous and I'm obviously not famous. But it'd be interesting because it's like, it's such a nothing thing and yet people will get offended now. It, it used to be, oh, okay, that's what Steve believes and that's fine. But now I put that up there, it's offensive to them. And I will lose half my followers. And I don't even have that many followers. In Christian schools, and this is an interesting one, Politicians have, uh, I don't know if they've, I think they have succeeded that you cannot now, um, you cannot say no to hiring staff that don't believe in the religion of that school. Okay, so if I'm a Christian school, okay, and a non-Christian comes and says, I'd like to work at your school, you can't tell them, well, we're a Christian school and we have Christian beliefs and you don't have Christian beliefs. Sorry, we can't hire you. Schools can't say that now. But it doesn't make sense, right? Because check this. If I wanted to work at Apple, 
And I went next door to Apple and I said, excuse me, I'd like to work at Apple. They said, that's great. What do you believe in? Well, one of the things I don't believe in is technology. I don't really believe in smartphones. I don't really believe that technology is important in life. Would Apple ever hire me? The answer is no. Why? Because technology is their core ethos. But no one would argue against that. You know what I'm saying? It's we're, we're moving more and more into this world where it has double standards against our faith. Do not be naive and think that we have, you know, you do whatever you want. Like we're, you know, like, you know, the Bible says the harvest is, is plentiful. You know what? It's a hard harvest. Christians can't even state what they believe to be biblical principle without the world shooting us down. If you believe that Christians are not being persecuted in Sydney, in Australia, you need to wake up. That's the landscape we live in. But just like the believers in the church of Smyrna, the command to us is the same as the command to them. And it is do not be afraid and be faithful. Do not be afraid and be faithful. And the question tonight is this, can you do that? And it's not just be faithful as like go to church every week, and, but be faithful in the moments of suffering and persecution and literally till the point of death. If you're in life group this week, you're going to have an opportunity to talk about some of the persecution that maybe you have experienced or you've seen someone else experience. This is real. This is real. You know, I work in Bunnings, right? And I'll close here. I work in Bunnings, greatest, greatest retail store in the world, right? And um, people go, hey, what do you... I don't know. They're not the smartest people in Bunnings, but they, they, they go to me, hey, so what do you do on the weekend? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, right? No thought, no reservation. I go, I'm a pastor at a church full of sinful people, but they're good looking. You know, like, you know, no problem saying that, right? And, 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 and whatever their response was, it would have been like, oh, that's cool. But, even, but now, I have to think. If I say this, say I'm a pastor of a church, sinful people, but good looking, what will their response be? So even for me, it's not that I'm ashamed of the gospel, but it's now I have to think about things. It wasn't like that before. And you know what? I'll be honest. I tell them. I went to church, I'm a pastor of a church full of sinful people, but good looking. I do say, I really do say that, I think you guys are very good looking. I think we're a very good looking church. Not that that matters, you're also very sinful as well, so you know, it sort of evens out, you know. And the reactions, I've had all of them. Oh, some people, they're like, oh, you know, and they're not Christian, but they're like, wow, that's a great cause. 
you know, you're helping people, you know. And, 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 you know, I've been really encouraged by these people that are like, they're not Christian, but they're like, I think you're doing something so meaningful. And I'm like, yes, I feel like I'm, you know, I am too. And then I get the middle crew that are like, oh, what do, what do you do? You know, like, you're a pastor? Like, what do you do? You run a church? And so I've been called priest. I've been called Father Steve, you know. You know, I've been called everything, you know. Just people, a lot of people just don't know. And then, and, then, and then once in a while, there are people, they're like, oh, you're a pastor. Oh, let's have coffee. Let's sit down. Let's talk about what's wrong with the church. Let's talk about what's wrong. Why would you do that? And I want to say, on, on some sense, you know, you just sit through abuse. They just, you're wrong, this is wrong, rah, 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 rah. What do you do? You, you, you don't fight back. You know? You just sit there. You, you take it. Landscapes change, my friends. Landscapes change. This is our reality now. The most famous person that came out of the church in Smyrna was a name, a man named Polycarp. Sounds like a Pokemon, but not. Okay? <laughs> okay? <laughs> this is Polycarp. Polycarp was the bishop of the church in the first century during when the persecution was the thickest. Now, they tried to kill Polycarp at a young age, but they couldn't. But at the age of 86... When Polycarp was the bishop, they came to his house to arrest him because of his faith. You know what's crazy? And I won't tell you the whole story, but he didn't resist. He, he, he literally said things like, well, if this is God's will, let's go. Right? They captured him. They, integra- they, they inter- interrogated him. They threatened him. And just before they killed him, this is what he said. This is 80 and 6 years. I have served him and he never did me any injury. How, can, how then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And moments later, he was burned to the stake, burned at the stake. This guy's crazy. They wanted to tie his hands and feet down so he didn't run away. And he said, it's okay, I'm not going to run. And he just stood there and burned. How far are we willing to go for the name of Jesus? How much are we willing to serve? Could we go all the way? Is your faith there. Jesus says, be faithful even to the point of death and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Let's pray.